Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. As we mentioned last week, we're doing a new thing on the Locker Room app where we have live conversations about the Clippers, hopefully once a week or so. And today we had one talking about the moves the Clippers can make both internally and externally before the trade deadline. So for this week's podcast, I'm going to link you to that show. Hope you enjoy. This is a Locker Room production. I'm Sabrina Merchant. I cover the Clippers for SB Nation. We've got David Bernal here today, who writes about the NBA for Clutch Points. And we're going to be talking about the Clippers and what they should potentially be changing heading into the trade deadline. Um, First things first, this is actually not entirely trade deadline related, but the Clippers made a move in their starting lineup yesterday, finally subbing out Nicholas Batum in favor of Marcus Morris. Uh, I'm curious, David, what do you think about that move going forward, because Ty Lue seemed to indicate that it was not a one-time thing, but that he's been trying to get Marcus in the starting lineup, and now this is what the Clippers are going to be working with for the rest of the regular season. Right. So obviously, Marcus Morris was the presumptive starter uh, heading Mm -hmm. into this season um, after he signed his contract and Nicholas Batum's play at the beginning of the year after Morris's injury, uh, I I think kind of forced uh, Ty Lue to play the hot hand if you will it's not surprising not only because of uh, batum's he's fallen off over the past couple of weeks while marcus morris has really come on um but given the clippers struggle it's particularly late in the fourth quarter on the offensive end it just makes much more sense because morris i think is, is a far more viable offensive option along with Kawhi and pg um so not surprising uh, although I, I don't think this is going to be the last potential roster move that the Clippers make um, in regards to the starting lineup, I do wonder if Zubac eventually finds Zubac, excuse me, finds his way back into the starting lineup at some point. Oh, see, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is exactly what I was going to go into next. But <laughs> let's uh, let's spend a moment on the power forward thing for a hot second. So obviously, like you said, Batum filled in as a starter at the beginning because Morris was hurt. And it was such a seemingly, you know, clean fit that Morris told Ty when he was ready to come back, like, yo, keep Nick in the starting lineup because it's going great. And I don't want to screw up any of the good vibes that are happening, which is a really nice thing to say. And also a lot easier to do when you've already cashed in on your big contract and don't need to worry about being a starter when you go into free agency. So I'm not, I'm not here to, you know, suggest that Marcus Morris has any agenda or anything, but it's, I'm just saying it's an easier sacrifice to have to make when you've right. already been taken care of. And, you know, good for him. He did the right thing. I think the Clippers were rolling with Batum, and it made sense to keep him in there. Um, but as great as Batum has been, you know, and just dramatically better, I think, than anyone would have expected coming out of Charlotte in that just dead season that he had a year ago, there are some diminishing returns with playing Batum all that much. Like, he's, a, I would say, an unwilling scorer, which is not to say that he's not a very good shooter. He's been excellent in the corners in particular, a really good spot up shooter for the Clippers this year. He moves the ball really well. You know, that's something that the Clippers didn't really have last year. A lot of passers in that starting lineup. So it's been good, I think, for the Clippers to have that connector of sorts among the starters. But it's getting to a point where teams just don't guard him, right? right. And you're also starting to wonder about maybe a potential minute slowed because he is third on the Clippers in total minutes behind Kawhi and PG. 
and yeah, I, I understand he's only in his early 30s, but like, again, a guy who basically did not play for a year coming into this Clipper situation, you expect him to have a role in the playoffs. It's probably not such a good thing to wear him out now before we get into that position. So I like the move bringing in Marcus. Um, I do wonder a little bit about the ball movement in the starting lineup, because like I said, you know, not a lot of natural passers, especially with Patrick Beverly now out, you know, you're putting Reggie Jackson and another guy who tends to look for his before moving the ball. So, you know, that's, that's just one thing that I look at the Clippers generally speaking is like, do they have enough guys who think distribute before score first and, I feel like Kawhi is like the best at that and he's your right. best scorer too, which is probably not the ideal outcome. But again, their offense has been wonderful. Uh, that is not the end of the floor that I think we need to worry about for the Clippers. So yeah, you know, get Marcus Morris in, juice up the bench a little bit with uh, some movement because that bench can get a little bit stagnant, you know, with Lou Williams just running the pick and roll over and over again. And yeah, it's, it's okay, but it's not like the most sustainable source of offense, I think. So I like it. Um, Marcus well, was great yesterday. So, you know. And I, I do think on the offensive end, for both the bench unit and the starting unit, it makes a lot of sense considering what those two units lack. On uh, the bench unit, as you mentioned, with Lou just running pick and rolls, they can get stagnant and they do mm-hmm. have a lack of passing. And so Batum will slide in there. Uh, really easily and that fit is easy to see but with the starting unit one of the things that the Clippers struggle and I'm sure we can talk about this later as well in terms Mm -hmm. of their um, lack of offensive production and clutch situations is that the Clippers oftentimes we know they are a great shooting team but I think one of the underrated reasons why they struggle so much late in the fourth quarter is because of an inability to get to the rim Mm-hmm. And defenses just kind of honing in on uh, closing out on shooters. And I do think that Marcus Morris will alleviate some of that pressure because he does have an ability and a willingness to drive into the lane. Uh, something that Nick Batum just was never going to be comfortable with. And quite frankly, never been something that has been in his skill set. Uh, and so I, I do think that both of them, just from a, a fit standpoint, will fit better now uh, from Morris in the starting lineup and Batum on the bench. Yeah, see, that's interesting you bring up the rim thing, because I, I totally disagree there. Um, I don't really? think Batum is good at getting to the rim, but I don't think Morris is either. Like, uh, I was looking up on Cleaning the Glass earlier today, and Marcus Morris just, like, does not take shots at the rim. And I don't know right. if that's because he's playing a lot with Zubach, you know, who tends to spend a lot of his time in the paint and thus make it a little bit more challenging for Marcus to make his way there. But I also just think it's kind of a function of the way he plays these days, right? Like he fancies himself more of a jump shooter and like, yeah, like I'm, he took, he's taken 10% of his shots at the rim all season, which is a, not a high number. No, um, it is not. I do think that he presents more of a threat definitely than Nicholas Batum does in terms of potentially getting there. But I'm in a I'm in a wait and see kind of mode with Marcus because I'll believe right. it when it actually starts to happen. But it's and that's totally it's an interesting fair. point, yeah. Yeah, and I I think more so just that he seems to have the ability to get to the rim mm-hmm. far more than Batum ever did. And I would imagine that that 10% number is going to increase the more he plays with the starters. To be clear, I I don't think that he's going to suddenly become. Uh, somebody who just lives in the lane um, uh, and is consistently driving. But I think he has the ability to unlock that more so than Batum ever did. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I just don't think Batum has any 
hope of getting there. <laughs> but right. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to hold off, uh, you know, on saying that Marcus is that guy just yet. Right. But what was interesting, uh, hang on, we got a request to talk here. Hey, Nithish, what's up? Oh, hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, totally. Yes, we can. Oh, I just, so because like it was the trade deadline chatter, I just had a question. So like about sure. like, realistic names that are floating around. So I think one of them that's probably the most realistic right now that's floating around is George Hill. So like, yeah. my question to you guys is like, do you guys think it's worth for the Clippers to give up Lou Williams in a trade for George Hill? Or do you think like, because there's like a trade off defensively there, but then again, I feel like Lou's probably the third best player on the team at getting to the rim. And like he's mm-hmm. instrumental towards running some basic pick and rolls off the bench. But like, I guess like the only concern for the Clippers and Lou Williams is that he's really easy to exploit defensively. And I think we saw that in the playoffs last year. So do you think like George Hill would be a significant upgrade on that end or would it be like better off for the Clippers to keep someone like Lou Williams, even as a leader for the team? Gotcha. Uh, David, you want to take that first or? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So great question. I actually, you know, watching Lou Williams play defense this year, he's actually made some pretty decent improvements. Um, I, I think one of the, uh, areas on defense where the Clippers struggle most is a team defense rather than individual matchups. And Lou does have the self-awareness to understand kind of basic concepts that the Clippers are, are running on the defensive end. Um, that said, I actually think the biggest concern with Lou Williams is going to be on the offensive side, particularly as you get into the postseason, as we've seen time and again, Lou really struggles specifically to get to the line during the playoffs. And I don't expect that to change um, upcoming. And so I actually think it would be worth it for the Clippers to trade for George Hill um, and include Lou in that uh, potential transaction not just because of the upgrade on the defensive side but because George Hill I think is the type of pass first point guard that could really settle the Clippers offense down uh, and get it moving in a way uh, that they've really been lacking particularly in crunch time I think in crunch time situations although it's been a small sample size the Clippers rank uh, dead last in offensive rating among the NBA and if not dead last I the stat that I looked at I believe last week so that may have moved up a little bit, uh, but they are certainly near the lower bottom of the half of the league in crunch time offense. And I think a pass first point guard like George Hill or even Ricky Rubio would really be helpful for them. You know, what's funny about those crunch time stats is that the last time I checked, the Clippers were dead last in defense. So it's been bad (laughs) all around. Um, You know, it's earlier in the season. I would have said that I don't think a George Hill actually, you know what? I've been trumpeting this George Hill thing for like months now, but, uh, I would have been wary of including Lou Williams earlier in the year just because uh, he like culturally means so much to the Clippers, right? Like they've gotten rid of so many of the players who were on that last um, team that went to the playoffs against Golden State, you know, and had that miraculous comeback in the Oracle. And then they, you know, extended that series to six games. And it was just like this really great, like ragtag group with so much heart. And I think everybody fell in love with that Clipper team. And then they got Kawhi and PG and it's like, Oh my God, there's so much talent. And, now the only people left from that team are Lou, Pat, and Zubac. Right. Like, that's it. <laughs> Three players out of 15, right? And so uh, but we're getting to the point where, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly's availability is so limited that I'm not even considering George Hill as a replacement for Lou Will. I'm considering as a replacement for Patrick Beverly because you just need somebody in that starting lineup who can guard ones and twos. And that's just a lot to ask Paul George to do on a consistent basis. Like, he can guard – you know, Jamal Murray, like on, in stretches, but you just don't want him to have that primary responsibility because 
he's just so quick and it's a lot of navigating through screens and I worry about PG's shoulders. But to me, yeah, if OKC is willing to get that deal done, like you throw in some of those Detroit seconds and the Lou Will salary, because I do think OKC is going to extract a price to get George Hill. I'm just considering the previous deals that uh, OKC and the Clippers have made. It's not going to be an easy trade to get done. (laughs) But I am firmly of the belief that, like, I'm just so concerned that Beverly's going to be ready to go that you just got to get that deal done. Um, No, absolutely. Francis, you got any thoughts about that? (laughs) Yeah, so it's really interesting that you're talking about, you know, Lou being an important piece to keep because of culture uh, in that last run when they were the scrappy underdog. Because, you know, that could be cultural baggage, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that they kind of shed when, you know, intentionally shed when they didn't re-sign Montrez or gave right. an off try. And uh, it, I would also apply to, like, Beverly, right, where their roles within the team are probably, uh, you know, I guess their ego is probably a bit more inflated because they had that run and are a little bit unhappy uh, with their current roles on the team given their success uh, without the two superstars. Um, so I'm surprised, uh, you know, that they a, haven't moved off uh, Lou Will earlier mm-hmm. than than now, and you know they'd be reluctant to to move him at all. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, point, you know, about the culture. I I do think just from like my my limited experience interacting with them that they sort of identified Montrez as the guy who was uh, less happy about taking a you know a lesser role, you know, when those other two guys came in because Pat Bev, like it hasn't really changed, right? He's still the starting point guard. He's still, you know, the, the guy who brings the energy at the start of games. Uh, he, he really didn't have an expanded offensive role, at least one that he was comfortable with, even when that team was uh, in its lesser iteration. So I think he's good. And then with Lou, you know, it does seem like the Clippers have tried to replace him already by getting Luke Kennard. And right. That hasn't been very successful. Uh, <laughs> with all due respect to Luke, uh, one of my favorites. I, uh, you know, I went to Duke. I, I adore his team. It just hasn't worked out quite well in Los Angeles, not yet, at least. You know, there's still four years left on the contract, so <laughs> plenty of time. Uh, you will have plenty of time to get <laughs> used to the Luke Kennard experience. Let me tell you. Yeah, but I, that's that's an interesting idea that maybe they'd be okay moving on from that culturally because I don't know, just Lou. I don't know what it is about Lou. Will everybody loves him? Just everybody freaking loves Lou Williams like he's the guy they want to celebrate with after they hit big shots you know he's the guy they shout out like for making all the sacrifices for the team and uh it's a different vibe to me with Lou than it is with Mondrez but I we just have so much data of like Lou not being as good in the postseason mm-hmm. that why would they still want to hold on to him you know yeah right and, and, and like no, I said like I'm from Toronto and uh, I watched him the season he was here and he was like amazing six man, but they let mm-hmm. him walk uh, without like any kind of effort to retain him because they knew he, you know, quote unquote, a winning player. Uh, I at least winning to the level that Masai wanted. And uh, he was a little bitter about that for sure. Uh, but yeah, I would see it when he'd come on and he'd have like amazing nights. It just meant that like uh, DeMar DeRozan wasn't eating or, or like, you know, uh, Powell wasn't getting up shots. Uh, it was kind of zero sum. He, he wasn't like creating a lot of extra offense for them, uh, mm-hmm. even when he was hot. So, uh, you know, I, I know he's like beloved and like he was D- DeMar's best friend on that team. And it was really right. tight with Kyle as well. But uh, I just think on the court chemistry was, was a little shaky. 
Yeah, push comes to shove. I do think that the Clippers would move Lou for George Hill um, because I do think it is a a substantial upgrade in a playoff rotation. But at a certain point, you just like worry about being, I don't know, like it it seems like this is less of a concern in the NBA now than it has been ever. But like all of these teams just sort of feel like mercenaries, right? Like you just slot people in and out, you know, depending on the exact need for that particular season. Uh, so I guess I'm a little more uh, romantic about the the draw of Lou Williams here since he's been on the Clippers. Like, he's the longest tenured Clipper along with Pat. Um, but, David, what were you trying to say there? Oh, I, I was just going to say, you know, on the Clippers' chemistry issue, I've actually been encouraged for the most part during this season. Uh, not only is uh, somebody like Patrick Beverly taking less shots than he has, uh, in comparison to recent seasons, uh, but that doesn't seem to have created any locker room tension within LA's uh, locker room. Um, in fact, he's the Clippers' chemistry seems to be better than it was at any point last season, and I was actually really encouraged to see Kawhi speak up. Uh, what was it two days ago? Um, talking about the Clippers' lack of consistency, and so. Mm-hmm. I actually am not too concerned with the Clippers chemistry and in terms of them getting along, it seems to be more of an issue of, are they just going to play enough to be able to develop a rhythm with one another? And I think that's particularly been evident on the defensive side of things where there are a lot of breakdowns because their switching isn't always on point. Um, But yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see if they make a move in an attempt to change the culture or if their moves are more geared towards just creating a better on-court fit, which is the sense that I kind of get when being around the team. Yeah, so where I sort of land is like George Hill makes obvious sense, you know, with the Clippers, but I can't see any other trade target that like is gettable, you know, with the assets that the Clippers had and that meaningfully makes them better. Like I hear, you know, the the Ricky Rubio talk and it's just like Ty Lu is not going to want another player who is not a shooter on the court, you know, in that closing right. five. Um, say what you will about Patrick Beverly, you know, not being the point guard that Lou Williams is, like at least he shoots forty percent on threes, like every season, like clockwork. Right. Um uh the Lonzo Ball thing is interesting. I just I don't know that they have the assets to get him out of New Orleans, right? Uh I, I saw a Clippers Miles Turner rumor and like, are, are you moving Zubach to get him? Like what, what is the, what is the deal there? Uh, so I, I'm a confused as like what else they could do. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the, you know, you hear Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry would be a dream fit. Yeah, definitely <laughs> not. Like who are they giving up? Paul George? Like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, what, what, yeah. So go through the trade assets. What do they have? I guess, you know, if you're Dookie, maybe you still like, um, uh, yeah, like, I heard that, like, you know, if you're trying to get Lonzo, then, like, Stan Van Gundy liked Luke Kennard, so maybe that's somebody you could give <laughs> to New Orleans, but uh, he's no longer the uh, uh, lead decision maker for his basketball team, so maybe that's not going to happen. Um, and then as far as other aspects, right, you, got, you got Zubach, right? But I think he's way too important to what the Clippers are trying to do, unless you're getting a center back. You've got Terrence Mann, maybe. He's kind of interesting. Uh, you've got some Detroit second rounders, which are like late firsts, essentially, with how bad Detroit is. So that's what you're working with, right? Because like even their first round draft pick last year, Fee, he's they declined his option, so he's going to be a free agent too. So there's there's not a lot going here. Yes, right. No, and I, you know, 
the second rounders, I think, are going to have to be the centerpiece of any particular trade. And if you're talking about Lonzo Ball or Miles Turner, I, quite frankly, I don't think either of those franchises should be trading uh, those players. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have loved what obviously Lonzo has been fantastic this season, and I've really loved what Miles Turner has turned into for Indiana. And I actually think that he's playable right along with Sabonis. Um, and so I don't think those teams should have a huge sense of urgency to to get rid of either one of those guys. And considering the fact that the Clippers don't have any highly valued assets, I, I think Zubak and the second rounders um, for Turner would be what the outline of the deal would start with. I just don't think that's quite enough if I'm Indiana to make that trade. Um, yeah, like so why I, are you... Why are you getting a lesser valued center, you know, right, from yeah. <laughs> just at the cost of some second? And then, like, we run into the hard cap issues because the Clippers can't take back more salary. They're like $500,000 short of the hard cap. So it's right. so hard to make any deals, pun not intended. Um, <laughs> so I find myself, like, looking at, you know, really, like, fringe options. Like, I saw that, you know, Washington has made some of their young guys available, like Troy Brown Jr. and Isak Bonga. And I'm like, I love Bonga on the Clippers, but like, is he going to crack the top nine of their rotation? (laughs) Right. uh, Or, you know, I was on a podcast earlier today and we were talking about how like um, maybe DeLon Wright is available at point guard. And it's like, is he better than Patrick Beverly? Like, I I just don't know what, what they can do. I I hate to like not have answers, but like. (laughs) You need SVG back at the president role of Detroit to pull out. <laughs> That's what we need. So, right. yeah. You need SVG again <laughs> to, to fleece SVG. And of course, uh, you know, the Clippers got a lifetime of value out of that Blake deal from SVG. That was like total highway robbery. It's um, kind of crazy how many deals the Clippers have made with the Pistons or like, um, I guess, no, they didn't get Marcus Morris from the Pistons. He just was, happened to be there earlier. But like, you know, Reggie Jackson out of the buyout and like now this Luke Kennard deal, which even with like Luke Kennard not being as good as advertised, like those four seconds are still really good. And to get off of Rodney Magruder's contract, like forget SVG, like Troy Weaver is doing the fleecing <laughs> on his own. <laughs> did uh, And by the way, did you hear anything of them trying to pursue Blake after you just buy it? Or is that bridge? Uh, oh, no, burned? they had no interest in a getting Blake back in. There was no interest on Blake's part to come back. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't going to unveil what you're saying to me? They weren't going to re-unveil <laughs> his retired jersey? I think they were going to have... Like, when the fans came back, they were going to start the game with that fake retirement ceremony. <laughs> yeah, or bring oh. unbox some of those t-shirts with Blake's face next to Mandela and <laughs> MLK Jr. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I will say this though. Although somebody like George Hill will, would really help the Clippers, I just think that the biggest thing that the, the Clippers need, because their chemistry concerns um, aren't really that big of an issue for me, is just time on the court together. I, mm-hmm. I think that is all in, in health, which is obviously connected to that. I think if those two things can get figured out, this team is still more than capable of winning a championship. And I don't know, maybe I'm just more optimistic on them, but I I don't think they have terminal weaknesses that would prevent them from winning. Yeah, I'm with when you on de- that. Um, I would, sorry, Nithish, you were saying something? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, when they defend, like, last night, they have a chance because, like, like versus mm-hmm. New Orleans, like, they just, like, were not going to defend them because, like, I just feel like sometimes, like, on certain nights, they are lazy on defense, like, because a lot of their guys in the rotation, especially in the starting lineup, are over the age of 29. There's not a lot of youth on the roster outside of 
uh, Zubats and Man. But like mm-hmm. yesterday, I, I thought I saw like defensively there was definitely something. Uh, like they sort of flipped a switch, I guess. Yeah, I I thought that Kawhi looked better defensively yesterday than he ever has in a Clippers mm-hmm. uniform, and that was remarkable to see. And I wonder if he was sort of motivated by like like you said that just the terrible game against New Orleans, and then the fact that the last time they played Dallas, they were down by fifty at halftime. So just a lot going into that game. I don't know if you have that uh, motivation every single time you come out in the regular season. But, yeah, like the, the outline is definitely there for a team that can win the title. Uh, I The one thing that concerns me isn't like the point guard player or, you know, even the defense, which is just terrible because it's fine when PG and Kawhi are on the court. It's that I, I just wish they like got to the rim a little bit more often. You know, and David, you were mentioning this earlier that uh, maybe that's why their crunch time offense is so lousy for lack of a better word just because the you know the defenses know that they can just stay home on the shooters and like nobody's going to try to attack the basket and that's like the kind of thing I would like to see them address you know maybe with the buyout or at the trade deadline it's just somebody who likes to take layoffs <laughs> like somebody who just doesn't want to take jump shots all the time but again I think they're I don't really know who trying. that is I think they're actually trying to get to the rim but like sometimes like if they're just not getting calls like when I watch Paul George drive to the rim like I think it's, like, hard for him to actually draw contact. Like, sometimes when he goes up, his, like, shoulders flinch back. And, like, I don't understand mm-hmm. if, like, if he's actually getting fouled or if he's just not able to, like, take that contact anymore, maybe after the double shoulder surgery. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, Kawhi is still – he gets a line, like, six times a game. Maybe I think that's, like, top 10, maybe top 15 in the league. So, like, he still gains a line. But, like, other than him, Lou, and PG, there's – there really isn't anyone else who can sort of, like, get that and – I feel like sometimes when when PG can't get those whistles from the refs, then then he'll start like settling, um, which he did against like Boston late in the game against Boston um, a couple of weeks ago. But I mean, I think they're trying, but sometimes like PG's mentioned it many times this year, like he feels like he's just not getting enough calls. Um, so no, and I, I do think that's definitely uh, part of it. I think. One of the more structural reasons, though, why the Clippers can at times struggle getting to the rim is because defenses um, are willing to help out. For example, when Kawhi is driving defense, you'll see defenses um, willing to overextend their help away from the perimeter. Uh, and they do a really good job of closing off potential passing lanes so that Kawhi can't get the ball back out to the perimeter for an open shot. And so I think that's where a traditional point guard um, would allow... Kawhi and PG specifically to play more off the ball and uh, would create driving lanes and just a little bit more space for them to be able to drive into the interior without encountering so much resistance to where they are having to put their bodies on the line to either get a call or bulldoze their way into the interior. Um, but I, I, I think one impacts the other and at the beginning of the season when they first started playing with Ibaka a lot one of the things that was really obvious was just how well the floor was balanced for them I think they are a little bit less balanced as the season has gone on and as defenses have started to kind of figure out what they want to do and as we saw against uh, New Orleans when the outside shots aren't dropping and defenses can help uh, as the Clippers try to get to the rim it just one bad thing happens after another and they just kind of sputter out. Yeah. What's interesting about the rim thing is like, they're like 29th or something in the league in proportion of their shots that they take at the rim, but their free throw rate is totally fine. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, Lou Williams drawn a bunch of junk fouls on jump shots or like, you know, the other guys getting fouled uh, in the bonus or something. But uh, 
it makes me wonder like if those are the types of fouls that are sustainable in the playoffs, right? Like we've, we've mentioned this like ad nauseum with Lou Will, right? That those fouls don't get called in the postseason. And that's what makes me a little bit concerned about the free throw rate, just because I don't think that they're going to get this type of treatment from the referees, you know, on jump shots when they get in the playoffs. And I think we saw that against Denver last year. Um, but yeah, the, the playmaker thing, I, I just, I just don't see how you're going to knock Pat Bev out of the rotation. So hmm. like what? Well, one, one of the interesting things, uh, Sabrina, that I know mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned earlier in the season was that the Clippers obviously play at a very slow pace. Um, oh, yeah. I think they're, are they 25th? or I don't think they're higher than that in terms of, of pace in the NBA. And we heard early in the season, uh, Ty Lue really talking about wanting to speed up the way that the Clippers play. Do you think that part of the reason why the Clippers have been so focused on getting a point guard is because Ty Lue still would like to see them play at a faster pace or have they pretty much accepted that that's just not going to be their identity? I think that's a really good point. I mean, I have to believe that that's a big part of the reason why Reggie Jackson plays as much as he does because he actually pushes the ball up the court uh, when nobody else does. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... You know, doing a quick uh, rundown of the roster, like no, no, no. Yeah, nobody else does. Just His Reggie Jackson. ones are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Reggie Jackson is good for catch and shooting, and that's it. Yeah. If they don't get anyone at the trade line, who are the possible buyout possibilities? Like George Hill, I guess is still a possibility there. Actually, even more so uh, if he leaves money on the table with OKC. Yeah, I, I wonder what OKC's ploy is going to be here because they're very much in, like, squeezing asset mode, right? Um, yeah. I have to imagine they're going to take even, like, a couple seconds just to get that deal done uh, versus buying him out. But, yeah, like, do you think they'd be, like, in a in a hoarding mode? Like, no, no one would give us what we wanted, so we're just going to take George Hill. I, I can't see that. <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I think they're too small of a market. You know, yeah, uh, you can't get away with that, right? Yeah, I, I think they would if you know he gave up, you know, even half a million or a million on the deal, he would. Uh, yeah, they would let him walk. Well, and it just seems like there's enough interest in somebody like George Hill that it, it's almost the same thing with like PJ Tucker. Of if you can get something, is saving a couple of million extra dollars down the season really more valuable than getting even a second round pick? Um, and I just yeah. think the answer is almost always going to come back no. Exactly. Because it's not like OKC's season attacks this year, right? They're right. Um, still firmly within their payroll. Uh, but yeah, uh, I see the Rondo Ooh. name mentioned quite a bit. Uh, Salary-wise, yeah. I have a hard time seeing how that's going to work because he's making about $14 million this year. I'm going to check real quick so I don't go on a whole tangent about something that's entirely incorrect. Uh, never mind. He's making <laughs> $15 million over two years. Yeah, so I guess you could go Lou Will straight for Rondo. Um that that salary match pretty easily, uh, but I don't I don't see the Hawks. Uh, yeah, like what's uh, in it for the Hawks, right? They just right. used a lot of their uh, free agency and, money to sign Rondo, who's been really really bad. Let's be real, uh, but he's Rondo got that playoff reputation. Is, yeah, right. And and to be fair to the Hawks, their I, strategy I believe was somewhat of an emulation of what we see with the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul, where you have this phenomenal scorer, but if you pair them with another ball handler, could that unlock another facet of their game? Obviously, let me be clear, Rajon Rondo is not Chris Paul by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that the thinking was somewhat along the same lines. 
Yeah, so for me, the Rondo thing, uh, and this is a weird thing to say considering how beloved he was with the Lakers last year, that feels like a potential chemistry problem just waiting to happen. Uh, because if you bring this guy in for you know either Lou Will or Patrick Beverly, both of whom are just adored among the locker room, and then you, you get this guy who like obviously has won two titles and uh, um, has a reputation for, you know, bringing it on the big stage. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot to work in to me over the last two months of the season. So I, yeah. I think they wouldn't want to go the Rondo route. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we're, we're obviously, I, I was just mentioning how it doesn't seem like chemistry is a potential issue in the Clippers locker room. You add Rondo to that mix and that very well may become a very, dominant storyline going forward <laughs> like so why isn't uh Ty Lue putting the ball more in uh Paul George's hands to kind of run the offense through I think he has been more increasingly uh ever since PG came back from the foot injury he's been a little more inconsistent than he was at the start of the year uh so there has been some limitations on what he's done since then like his, his shooting is so hit or miss over the last couple weeks or so like he's got the really high volume shooting games and then like whatever yesterday was against Dallas. Uh, so my, my gut is like once he gets healthier that those pick and roll responsibilities are going to come back more to Paul George, but that was at the start of the year. It just, I really do believe that that foot swelling thing has held him back a little bit. Right. No. And I just also cleaning the glass, uh, uh, taking a look at, at their website. Um, Paul George has really fallen off. Uh, when he is kind of the lone star on the court from what he was at the beginning of the season, um, where at one point he almost looked like he would be the Clippers regular season MVP. That is obviously that storyline has very much gone away. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in lineups with him on, on the court, while the Clippers are, are by no means bad, uh, I believe they're just over a uh, 0.1 differential um, in lineups, whereas Kawhi, is I believe almost four plus four and a half. And so I, I, whether it's injuries or, or his shooting just not being nearly as good as it was at the beginning of the season, he's kind of tailed off. Um, and so I, I think Tyler also recognizes trends as well as anybody in the NBA. And so I think it's also just been an adjustment due to the fact that PG hasn't been as good over the past few weeks than he was at the beginning of the season. Completely. Um, which is not to say that he's been bad at all because he's still no. just a remarkably good shooter. It just hasn't been, you know, the setting nets on fire that he was at the start of the year. Right. Yeah, that was like fresh, the contract uh, extension. You exactly. Know, sure. I like that sugar rush. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, unless anyone has any further questions, this is about, oh, hang on. What's up, Gerald? Hey, how you doing, Sabrina? How to, how you have, all right. Quick question. I just want to ask you, if you look at the Clippers' decision to obviously extend Paul George, and I guess that was obviously to save face after, mm-hmm. you know, giving up all the picks and the assets that they did to acquire him and Kawhi Leonard. But if Leonard decides to leave, 
you know, could we see the Paul George contract? Will, re- will we remember that, do you think? And that will be something like the equivalent of what you had w- witnessed in baseball, Major League Baseball, with these pitchers signing like these mm-hmm. eight-year deals or seven-year deals after being 30? Because, you know, and just watching Paul, it just doesn't seem like he has fully recovered since breaking that ankle and that leg in the, the Olympic trials. It just really seems like, again, he is not the same explosive player that he was uh, when he was with the Pacers and stuff. But do you think that that contract will come back to haunt the Clippers moving forward, especially if they don't get a chance to re-sign Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I do think that PG, uh, while not like a number one guy to win a title with, I, I don't think he's on you know that Kawhi Leonard level. Uh, I do think he's going to age quite well because he shoots really, really well. That's not going to go away. Uh, he's also just an excellent defender. Like he could um, age into even like a power forward on certain lineups, like sort of the way Rudy Gay has extended his career. I'm not saying that he's going to be like the same level as Rudy Gay. Cause I think he's definitely a better player than Rudy Gay. Uh, but I just think that he, with his size and his shooting ability, he has so much versatility to be a quality player for the life of this contract. Um, and the Clippers, they kind of just had like, you know, head over a barrel, right? Like there was no way they could go into this summer with both PG and Kawhi's free agents with all of the drama that had happened, you know, last year, like you're basically saying, unless we win a title, something bad is going down. Right. Uh, Right. So I just think that they had to make this decision to extend him. I do wonder if they could have been a little more uh, judicious with the money they offered him, you know, like maybe they didn't have to go full max. Maybe they could have gone a little bit less, uh, but when you have an owner who's worth as much as Steve Ballmer is, like what is luxury tax, right? So <laughs> I guess you just sort of uh, grin and bear it and like pay the guy as much as he's asking for, because I do think that Paul George is like top 12 player in the league and maybe like top 15, but uh, that's the kind of guy who you want to have on your team. And it makes it a lot more appealing for Kawhi Leonard to have around. So I don't question the decision at all. I do think the Clippers are obviously in a world of hurt if Kawhi leaves, but I think they've done everything in their power to keep him around because like they made the trade for Paul George to get him here in the first place. Right. Um, they brought in his friends, Serge Ibaka, uh, even though that cost him Jermichael Green, right? Like they, uh, they're doing what it, they can to keep Kawhi happy. And I think this was just another part of it. And if the contract sucks, you know, in a couple of years, like they'll just trade him to Detroit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I do think, you know, you look at, uh, well, I think it's fair to say PG isn't, been exactly the same player that he was before the injury you look at for example his last year in oklahoma city where he was a fringe mvp candidate uh and i i do agree with sabrina i don't think that he is somebody like russell westbrook when once the athleticism goes the end is going to be ugly um given pg's shooting ability and even more so his defensive instincts and his ability to direct the defense i think he's going to retain value for a long time and it doesn't strike me as a contract that's going to even be untradeable as the years go on so that if the worst does happen and Kawhi leaves town which by the way I also don't think is something that's likely to happen but even if it does and the Clippers decide to go into rebuild mode rather than trying to compete for a seventh or eighth seed with Paul um, I still think that the Clippers would be able to attract some type of value in the market. Um, and it wouldn't be a situation like what, for example, the Cavs are dealing with, with Kevin Love, where everybody is telling them you're going to have to attach an asset to Love in order to, to get off this contract. I think 
Paul would Did you see that, that Colin Sexton liked a tweet about <laughs> Kevin Love's contract being a steal? <laughs> oh, I did see that. Uh, I, I, I think PG would be able to bring back um, value in return. Sure, it may not be a treasure trove of picks and young players, but I think it would be something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I just I had think... a fo- – I'm sorry. I had a follow-up question to both Yeah, yeah go you. ahead. And just in regards to that, um, in regards to just what you were talking about that, and I'm looking at his contract, and I mean, grant, granted, with Al Horford and Blake Griffin, I think with Chris Paul and Al Horford being moved, you really can never say never in terms right. of movable contracts. But do you think, both of you, the moves that have been made from last season – and obviously the team taking a step back, losing Montrez Harrell and obviously, you know, just the adjustments this year. Is there a sense of pressure, if you will, on maybe Ty Lue and this current team to try to have something and do something impactful to get that sort of taste out of that 3-1 debacle last year? But more importantly, moving forward with the Clippers trying to establish their own identity moving into a new arena uh, in the near future. Is there a sense of urgency with this team and some of the moves that they will make and, and some of the moves that they can't make as opposed to making plans for the future, but basic, basically the future is now? Oh, yeah. They're definitely acting like a team where their window is the next two years, and you kind of have to when Kawhi Leonard is under contract only for this year and when – I mean, you talk about guys who don't look like they're their same athletic ability anymore. I think Kawhi Leonard is on that list. Like, uh, I know he has moments where he looks incredible, but as far as sustained production goes, I don't think he's ever going to be what he was, um, you know, in that 2017 Spurs season. I think that version of Kawhi is just is not really here anymore. Um, and, you know, maybe you don't need that when you're just trying to win 16 games in the playoffs, but like there's there is a timeline that they need to win on and they are definitely trying everything they can to accelerate the timeline, right? Like they don't have first round picks for the next six years. So it's, they, they're, there's a lot of pressure uh, before they even lost three, one, right? Like it's just the guy yeah, their contract for two years. Right. That's a great point. Sabrina, Cause like even uh, the last two rounds of the Raptors run uh, championship run, uh, he was hobbled. Like he mm-hmm. just wasn't the same player after Philadelphia. Uh, so- yeah. And I mean, he's still great. You know, I just think that it's, it's apparent to me that he's on a level of physical decline and like how quickly that happens. I don't know, but you just don't want to take any chances, right? Like we saw it happen almost in an instant with Blake Griffin. So you just got to be careful. And if that means, you know, like they give away Terrence Mann and more young assets to like try to get incrementally better this year, I could see it happening. No, absolutely. And I, Completely agree with what Sabrina was saying. And I, look, I have said before, I'm of the opinion that if the Clippers are healthy and have some semblance of uh, being able to play well together, this is a team that would not surprise me uh, if a few months from now they're playing in the NBA Finals. Um, but I think as the famous quote goes, the best ability is availability. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, it stops being just bad injury luck for why the Clippers aren't able to have all five of their best guys on the court at the same time and is something uh, structural uh, that these guys just, you can't count on them uh, being healthy and being able to play together and the time may come to move on. Um, And the older you get, the more likely that is a a scenario. And so if they can't do it within the the next two years, I I think it's fair to say that it's probably never going to happen. Yeah, they need more SVGs and Elton Brands in league offices <laughs> to uh, 
you know, re- repair things. Elton Brand just, you know, doing a solid to the Clippers after all these years, you know, when he said he was <laughs> going to resign and then they waste all that money on Baron Davis and then they traded Baron Davis with the pick that became Kyrie Irving. It's just a, a cycle that had to repay itself at some point. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I'm referencing, you know, even a bigger error, which was uh, on the Philly side, which was uh, the Tobias Harris deal. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that, what I was saying. Oh, that that uh, was yeah. Elton Brand. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. I, yes. That was oh, Elton my... Brand repaying the Clippers, you know, for all of the damage oh. he had done them. But no, you're totally right, Brandon. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, that's as much time as I have today. Thank you all for awesome. coming in to talk about the Clippers. Uh, if you want to follow my work, I'm on SB Nation covering the Clippers, Lakers, and the Sacramento Kings. So just search my name and you'll be able to find all that. And thank you all for coming along. We'll be back on Friday, still talking LA Hoops. Thanks, guys.